0: Welcome to VR in
1: Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's show, we are talking with Drew Sittler, or sorry, Drew McNeil, and Evan Sittler and they're from Expert VR. Expert VR designs virtual reality simulations for end users. So this might involve different scenarios, including customer user data that you need, or even just looking at behavioral studies uh, that are important or poignant for your end user. So welcome to the show, guys.
0: Thank you for having us, Craig. Excited to be here. Yes, thanks a lot.
1: Uh, This is a standard question I always ask to all my participants, and it's incredibly interesting. I actually uh, wrote a book just recently, and in my book, I told a number of different stories related to this question. So, what got you guys interested in and excited about virtual reality?
0: Uh, I guess I'll go first. it was kind of two points for me. First, uh, a little over eight years ago, I was part of a, a tech camp back when I was in high school and got to go to uh, Communitech. It's a big incubator in, in Ontario, Canada and Kitchener-Waterloo area, and they had a um, cave, they called it, where they projected onto three walls um, an environment, and then you wore these special 3D glasses and you could interact with the environment. So that was kind of my first um, tangible experience with virtual reality and kind of got me excited about it, but didn't really do too much um, for a little bit there. But then uh, five years ago, I went to Control V, which is a, a location-based entertainment uh, VR spot that they have franchises across North America now, but they started up in Waterloo where where I'm from and and got to go try virtual reality there with my dad, and it was It was the first time that my dad could actually experience a a VR or a a video game and actually get into it and and actually play and not uh, mess up the controls as he does when we play Wii or PlayStation or something like that. Um, So it was exciting getting to see him get excited about the games and be able to play with him. So those were kind of my first two experiences that got me interested in VR. How
1: about you, Drew?
2: Yeah, for me, it was a, a little bit later, actually, and uh, kind of part of the origin story of uh, Expert VR itself. Um, I was working a co-op position at Brock University, and uh, Evan was actually in there with uh, a VR headset and had set it up for the first time. And we were kind of, uh, he invited me over to come try it out and see what was going on. And as someone who grew up uh, playing sports a lot, it was really interesting to kind of mix that world with video games and uh, kind of use your hands to actually play. And I kind of instantly fell in love when. Uh, we were playing space pirate trainers. It was uh, kind of a first-person shooter, shooting some asteroids out of the air, and uh, yeah, that was really kind of what captured me. And uh, right away, I looked at Evan and were like, "Okay, how do we turn a business out of this?" And because um, that was just so much fun, I need to show this to everyone, and uh, we need to do something here. So,
1: good for you guys. Startups are not easy, so uh, you know I'm really impressed that uh, you had the courage and entrepreneurship to uh, turn this into a livelihood. The other thing, Evan, that I thought was really uh, valuable that you said is you know, I hear this a lot. Once someone actually tries or puts on a VR headset, it's then that they really understand and and see the magic that VR has to provide. But before that, you know, for me with teachers and then uh, students, I can talk all I want about it, but until they literally see it for themselves, they're not convinced as to how magical. VR can be
0: exactly, and and that that actually comes back to we've been for a while now trying to come up with our like tagline for expert VR, and we've kind of now settled on um, seeing maybe believing, but experiencing is understanding, and it's exactly that reason you can obviously seeing it's amazing, but actually now being able to step into a world and experience that world and in a training or a learning environment when you can actually experience something then you're actually going to understand that uh, what you're experiencing and and why you're experiencing it in a classroom environment. So
1: what oh, I, I love that tagline. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh we've already shifted gears and that is let's talk a bit more about your company and uh, some of the things that you've been doing in the last few years. So uh you know why don't you go first Drew and and share with us a bit more about You know, what exactly and specifically does expert VR do for the world?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll talk about the early days and then I'll kind of pass it on to Evan to um, elaborate on what our uh, current and future goals are. But uh, when, like I said, I tried on that VR headset and we kind of started on um, figuring out how we could show this to as many people as possible and uh, show the value of VR and start making money with it. We um, were renting it out for a whole bunch of different reasons, whether it was birthday parties, conferences, uh, wedding events, things like that around the local area. And just getting our names out there and showing people what VR was capable of. And from there, we uh, spun into some professional development um, uh, solutions where we were basically bringing VR headsets to uh, day-long training classes where people were learning soft skills like public speaking and um, team building and integrating VR into their lesson plans. And that was a, a great kind of way to show the world that VR was a lot more than just a video game. And... Once we started doing that and realized that we were licensing other people's software, um, people were coming to us for solutions and there just wasn't the software built yet, we uh, realized we really need to start doing actual VR development. And that's when we started hiring some employees that could actually build VR simulations um, so it could all be done in house. And we started creating custom solutions. And I'll pass it on to Evan to kind of talk a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, so as Drew was saying, we've been doing those custom solutions for about two years now. and. I've got to work with some really amazing uh, private businesses as well as academic institutions and created a a lot of um, simulations that we're really proud of. Um, But when, when COVID hit, a lot of those contracts got put on hold um, because obviously with VR, you kind of, you have to be there in person to, to use the VR headset. So the only one that continued was, um, the students that we were working with at Brock University, who were taking a class through virtual reality, so they were able to continue with their headsets from home, and 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 that, as well as some other factors, made us realize, well, what if we could create a platform where, whether you're uh, doing research or whether you're trying to uh, get a get a simulation out to your students or uh, new employees at your company, a way to Send that simulation to them and then to be able to collect data on that simulation um, so that you can uh, conduct your research still or conduct training in, in a more efficient way. And, and so we've now over the past six months created the research access portal. And this is a, a website that we're um, testing out with a few clients right now and hope to um, release for more public use in, in the near future. Um, but basically, this website, as a, as a researcher, or as a trainer, you upload your VR simulation or pick from one of our templates, and then you can select what data you would like to collect in that environment, whether it be eye tracking, hand tracking, the path people are going through, survey data, all kinds of things. Um, and then then you can send it out to either specific people, or we have a network of Uh, people who own VR headsets at home and are willing to go through these uh, VR research studies and send back that data. Um, And and with that, we're already seeing how this is allowing uh, researchers to conduct research a lot more efficiently. And and with a lot of our academic clients, this is research that uh, can affect the world for the better. Um, For example, we have a research study where uh, we're looking at how going through VR experiences changed people's perceptions about new laws being put into place um, around ocean life and limiting overfishing and littering in the ocean and things like that. Um, So it's really exciting to be able to see these experiences continue and and be able this research to continue remotely.
1: You need to design one for the lobster industry. I hear uh, Nova Scotia is having a little trouble there so.
0: Oh there's yeah there's a lot of trouble there right now.
1: I've tried a few. So like you guys, I'm uh, a bit of a gamer and got interested in VR through uh, VR games. But since I'm a teacher, I've shifted to seeing the efficacy of both EduGames as well as other experiences which draw on empathy to help students and teachers use it in their classroom. But most recently, I tried one. It was on SideQuest, which was more of an enterprise VR experience. And it was trying to teach someone how to change the oil on a transformer. And it it was quite different for me. And I I became very curious as to whether there was a dichotomy between training someone who's maybe in a really specific role or job in enterprise versus education And, and the difference I saw. And I might be wrong, which is why I'm going to ask a question in a minute here, is it was so procedural. So they basically kind of walked me through with constraints to go up to this truck, open the back of the truck. I had to pick up certain equipment, and then I had to go to the electrical transformer. Again, they had shadows to help me understand through affordances what to do next. So it was step by step. And the the thing I liked about it, obviously, was the simplicity. But at the same time, there were no opportunities for me to make any mistakes, which kind of leads me to the question, is this a a fairly normal or typical experience for people in enterprise to train their employees? Because making mistakes is often how we learn, right? If we, we screw up, often there's a lesson to be learned there. And we may not make that mistake again.
0: Yeah, for sure, it's it's definitely something that that we've seen a lot of enterprise um, solutions being in that more procedural uh, training route. Um, we, as we're building our experiences, and we're seeing a lot of companies move towards this as well. We try to build it so there's a tutorial side and a a practice or testing um, side as well. So you can you can go through the tutorial where it's very procedural and you have to. Uh, you see everything highlighted and you get all the instructions, whether through audio or through visual cues. And yeah, you learn how to do it for your first time going through. Um, But then once you've gone through and you're comfortable, then we switch it to the um, completely randomized side of things where um, different issues can come up and you have to, you have to solve those issues on the fly and there are no instructions as you go and, and you can make mistakes and, And on on top of that, one of the main things that we found and that we're trying to build out with our our research access portal is um, tracking more analytics in that training side of things. So we're able to uh, track your your eyes and your pupil dilation. We're able to track the hand motions and the path that you take through an environment. And so while while you're going through the training, you can um, go through and, and complete the whole job and technically do it correctly. But then we can go back and look at that data and those analytics and we can understand, um, were you looking at the right places? Were you noticing where there were safety hazards? Um, With the pupil dilation, we can look to see if you were stressed or confident in the experience. So that way we can know, Okay, do you need to go through this or do you need to go through a certain portion multiple more times before you can actually go into the real world and be confident in the real world? So those having that practice and, and testing side of things and mixed in with the the analytics we have found, uh, yeah, make it a lot more realistic.
1: Even how long you would pause. Like, I, again, I can't help but think about the one I did on, on Sunday, and I had to put this uh, phalange and valve on, and there was a long pause for me because I, I couldn't figure out sort of the orientation that they wanted the phalange and the valve and so, you know, that length of time of pause, I guess, can provide great, either qualitative or quantitative feedback for an employer, right? Exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah, anything to uh, da- Oh, sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say anything to add to that.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, even like with the actual simulation design itself, I've seen a few people do it well. And uh, depending on like there's been a lot that's been procedural, like you said, Um, that might not even like, it might give you the results at the end, but doesn't really show you in lifetime what happens. Um, The ones that demonstrate the effects of what happens in a training simulation after you make those mistakes um, really drives home the point to people as they're going through. Uh, So for example, um, there was a simulation built for uh, an insurance company, a large insurance company, and they were doing estimates on uh, water damage to homes. And you could see in different places of what happened to different walls and how flooded the basement was and things like that. So it allowed them the firsthand experience of actually being able to see what this is going to look like rather than reading it on paper. Um, and to that point as well with, uh, for example, if you were wiring a house and you could show that if you wired it wrong, the left side of the house might burn down after the simulation is complete. And that was due to your mistake. That would really make people think twice about what they're doing as they're going through. So,
1: And that's a really good point. Cause and effect, or, you know, I think all of us in the VR world and industry uh, are starting to understand that when something's new, there's this danger to grabbing what I call is the low hanging fruit. And the example I use is I've seen some VR simulations in the educational field where it's simply something that is just a tiny step above what you could do on a 2D flat screen computer. And you know, I I would argue that's not why VR was invented. Here's an example. You know, I've seen where you can go in, look at the human body, and then, you know, pull out, so to speak, the heart and twist it around and look at it from different angles. And and my criticism to that is, I don't think necessarily that's much better than what you might be able to do uh, on a 2D computer or flat screen. And I think, uh, VR should be as we are talking about, and your experiences are uh, causing people to go down this path, and that is extremely experiential and doing things that you know VR is intended to do—to either evoke empathy or you know practice makes perfect. But literally allowing them to practice that,
0: for sure, for sure. I think that's the the huge side of VR is for practicing, and I, I think in those those learning scenarios where. Um, you're pulling out a heart out of the body I think that's where AR or augmented reality can really come in and you obviously right now it's a you have to use your phone in the future we'll have glasses but even right now just using your phone if you're a if you're a student in high school and you can scan a textbook and and then a the heart comes out of the book and floats in front of you and you can look at it and take it apart and Maybe even ask questions about it. I think that adds something to to the experience, and not uh, not costing that much to build out, and not uh, not too complicated to use, and and already using the hardware that's available today. So I think when companies are looking to solve problems, they really have to have to evaluate what's going to be the best solution. Is it VR? Is it AR? Or is it something else? No. Yeah.
1: Good good comment. I've gotten several requests for a VR classroom. So in this scenario, you know, you're a a pre-service teacher or someone going to college or university to study, to be a teacher. And in this scenario, people have said to me, wouldn't it be great if we had a classroom where there were uh, avatars in there, students, who had some level of artificial intelligence and they were pegged with... uh, you know, a persona like uh, the classroom might have a couple students that have the persona of being incredibly smart and gifted. Some of them in the classroom uh, could be introverted. Some might be highly extroverted and boisterous. Maybe one student in the virtual reality classroom has ADHD. Have you seen or heard of or had any requests yet for something like this in the educational field?
0: uh drew do you want to jump on
2: yeah so um in terms of the direct like uh creation of avatars um different types of personalities having the classroom setting itself um simulating what they might be doing within that classroom all those pieces are there and could definitely be put together in, in terms of what people have put out there and from what we've seen uh one one good example back to the uh public speaking um Simulation for professional development that component was basically a person on stage uh, Your virtual avatar talking to a crowd of however many of uh, people you wanted and you could change the crowds attitude towards you So they could be an angry crowd an excited crowd um, a pretty monotone crowd and as you're presenting it would give you live feedback based on how you're actually uh, giving your presentation whether you're Saying too many ums and uhs you're spending too much time looking at the left side of the crowd versus the right side of the crowd and giving live feedback like that to be able to simulate. And we, when COVID first hit, uh, there was a lot of uh, requests for us to basically build not just a simulated classroom, but actually uh, be able to bring students together with the teacher um, through the use of headsets. And a lot of solutions have come out since the beginning of COVID for this. Um, We actually ran a study with a professor and used a third party software to have his students uh, meet once a week and the success we had with that was great. Like Evan mentioned um, uh, so much so that we're running it again uh, as of this fall to continue his class. So like I mentioned, there's a lot of pieces there that we could, (laughs) that can be put together and uh, a lot that's out there.
1: What kinds of, sorry, what kinds of assets in in the scenario that you built for this uh, study, what kinds of assets were the, was the teacher able to bring in? did they have a huge library where if they, if they were studying science with the students, they could plop in a virtual heart, etc. Yeah.
2: So um, some platforms that are out there currently, Engage is one. And yep. Engage offers a large library of 3D assets that are built in, all based around education to bring in the solar system, dinosaurs, uh, different uh, historical artifacts, and bring those up to scale and show them with the students in live time. And then a more recent one that we've been looking at and they're actually using right now is Spatial which allows students to and uh, professors to basically use their laptop to bring in either 3D objects, documents, um, videos, bring their screen right into the room itself and uh, have a much more interactive um, classroom with with their students.
0: Yeah and I think one of the the neat things about Spatial is that you can you can voice search in there or or search with a, a keyboard And it will come up with, obviously, just as you Google, it will come up with like videos and uh, pictures and those types of links. But then it also comes up with 3D models related to what you search. So and then you can drag and drop those into your space. So uh, some cool solutions coming from them.
1: I'm going to play devil's advocate again for a minute here. And hopefully this doesn't uh, get me in too much trouble with my listeners. Uh, So. Stanford VR created a few years ago uh, a VR experience called Becoming Homeless. And yes. have you heard, have you heard of Becoming Homeless?
0: Yep, yeah, I've been through it.
1: Yep. So, you know, I often promote that because the power of it is you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes. You're going through an experience that you may not ever experience in real life therefore leading you down this path towards being more understanding and empathetic toward the plight of homeless people. Super great example of a good use case of VR. But if we go back to talking about uh, the efficacy of setting up a classroom and then again, just dropping in fairly static objects like the heart or a dinosaur, you know, how does that improve learning and immersion?
0: Yeah, I think the main thing that that I've found, at least so far, is that right now VR um, can do like can recreate like you could go back in time and actually roam with the dinosaurs or go back to the building of the pyramids. And I think that would be a much more uh, tangible and, and amazing experience. It's just that to develop each of those experiences is very costly. So I I think vr is getting there and we'll get to a place where it's a lot more experiential but i I do still think that uh being able to bring a a t-rex into a classroom if you had a bunch of uh grade three or four or younger students obviously there's um some issues there with headsets uh, because of the size of younger kids heads but uh but having students in there with with even just one model, I think it creates a more memorable experience because you're, you're actually there and experiencing what the size of a T-Rex is in front of you. I guess to give a good example, I, I was playing around with Facebook Horizons uh, a week ago, uh, which is like Facebook's new social um, application. And there was a, a guy in there, he created uh, a SpaceX launch pad and, and there was no animations or anything. They just had the size of all of the different rockets that SpaceX has made, um, and you could just go and walk up to them and see how big you are beside one of these rockets. And then there's a button that you could press to get some like audio explanation of them. And I, I've been a big fan of Tesla and SpaceX and Elon Musk for a while, but actually getting to stand there and just see the scale of of what one of these rockets uh, is. Uh, just opened up to my eyes so much more what they're, what they're doing, what they're achieving and, and, uh, and what they're making. Cause obviously I'm not able to go to one of their launch pads and, and see, see their, their, so I think it creates much more of that experience that you're going to remember and, and understand as a student.
1: Mm. I want to circle back to eye tracking. Eye tracking I know is, uh, a relatively new tool only available on certain headsets. But I, I see it as valuable in education because, you know, sadly, even though we're in the 21st century and learning is slowly shifting away maybe from standardized tests and more towards big ideas and concepts eye-tracking might be this valuable sort of holy grail for schools that have this sort of need and desire to collect data on students to see their growth. Can you give me some examples of some good use cases of eye-tracking for teaching and learning?
0: Yeah, like I think, uh, obviously it's not, this one isn't very applicable to, uh, to students learning in, in like middle school, but but what uh, first comes to, to mind when I think of like eye tracking and teaching and learning is um, like I was mentioning with the pupil dilation um, that's something that uh, NASA and Boeing are now using uh, for, for their uh, astronauts to train. They go through a full training of every uh, aspect of what they're going to need to do on launch to working on the International Space Station. Um, through VR headsets now, and they're watching their pupil dilation so that they know, are they confident in doing this experience? And it allows you to not just know if they're confident in doing a whole task or a whole multitude of tasks, but individual parts of those tasks. So if you're in high school, for example, and uh, you have students that are trying, maybe want to go into the trades and and they need to learn how to use um, some dangerous equipment, going through in vr first learning how to use the equipment um learning how to cut and not being afraid of the saw that they're using or whatever equipment they're using is something that you can you can gauge and calculate through these analytics that you're collecting through eye tracking in vr
1: is eye tracking possible with a standalone headset or is there just too much data coming down the pipe you'd have to have a wired headset like the htc vive pro etc
2: no. So the uh, the Pico Neo 2i is actually a standalone headset that's launched um, pretty recently and runs 4K simulations and has eye tracking built into it. Uh, we still have yet to play around with um, the eye tracking side of things to see exactly how well it works. Um, but the first calibration that we did when we fired it up actually um, uh, worked pretty well for for myself and Evan. And just seeing that it's able to track our eyes, the data that's coming out of that, we'll we'll have to find out. But um, that's kind of a step in the right direction, and if they can produce it, we definitely see the value. Um, Facebook's going to see the value with Oculus and uh, other standalone headsets as they come out um, in the in the data they're going to gain from that.
0: Yeah, and most most headsets are moving towards eye tracking. Like obviously, Vive has it in their highest end headset. HP just announced um, their headset, which has eye tracking, but also facial tracking and emotional tracking. Um, so I think all the headsets are heading that way, especially with eye tracking, um, adding extra benefits on the software side of things, because you can you can blur out uh, wherever um, the user isn't looking. And that allows you to save a lot of costs on the CPU and GPU of the headset. Um, so it allows you to create much more immersive and complicated experiences um, while still using the same hardware.
1: Experiences can be varied when someone hops into VR, they could be in what we call first, first person perspective. So they're actually, they can see their hands, they move around in the VR environment, and they're part of the action. Or they could be like a, a fly on the wall, which means they're, it's a third person perspective, almost like a, a godlike creature or being omnipotent. And you look down on what's going on within the VR setting. Which of those two is most popular and common to design for people? I, th-
0: I think up until this point the the fly on the wall type experiences have been the most popular I think that's mostly because um, just cost savings because when you can when you can film a 360 video on the lowest end side of things or on the highest end side of things for that fly on the wall third person view, you don't have to interact with anything. So even if you're in a fully immersive VR environment, um, taking away all of that programming for interaction saves a lot of costs. Um, and I do think there's a large benefit for those, um, like the homelessness experience or um, another example I went through uh, back in the summer was uh, called Traveling While Black. And it was an experience of um, going from, I think it was the 50s or 60s, to today and what it has been like to travel in america as if you were a black person and and those experiences obviously is something as a white male is something i never would be able to experience so going through that in that third person way was really interesting still and and engaging Um, but i do think that as as vr evolves and the the hardware evolves and the uh, cost of development decreases, it'll move more towards those fully interactive first person experiences because um, as well as getting the experience, you can also um, learn some of the interactions and, and have a more memorable experience because instead of just watching something, you can interact with something.
2: Oh, for sure. And even to add on to that, Evan, um, and even to circle back to the point about building for classrooms and uh, the the right experience to actually add value for Uh, What you're learning is that as um, content is being generated for VR, we're finding that more and more people are are building tools so that it is uh, more accessible and more cost affordable for people to build their own VR simulations um, and get the content that they want. And as people continue to build tools like this, it's just going to help to generate uh, more and more first person experiences that are going to be much more immersive and uh, better suited for the education system.
1: Yeah, not only that and that's a good point is I remember years ago when programming and coding was only for like the rocket scientists but then MIT and a number of organizations came up with drag and drop block coding, you know, it was called Scratch. When Scratch came came along, teachers didn't have to spend, you know, months and months taking complex courses on how to Uh, learn and then teach C++ or Java, they could now have this low entry or low barrier to programming and coding, which meant then that, you know, uh, not only high schools, but even middle schools were able to enter the coding slash programming world. And I see VR slowly entering that realm as well.
0: Oh, for sure. And, And definitely with, I guess, kind of newer age scratch of, of node programming um just seeing that in in unreal engine which is one of the main main two engines that we use in most of the other development communities as well um, having node-based programming in there so yeah you're just dragging and dropping and connecting obviously it's still complicated and you there is a learning curve but it's a lot less complicated than writing lines of code um and and then lots of places are starting to implement that in games so if you look at rec room in vr uh a game that we love to play and we have our our weekly meetings f- for our team in there there's node-based programming in there so as a as a kid you're jumping in you're playing a game and they're like well how do i create uh a game in in this environment as well and then you're learning how to code as you're creating a game inside of your favorite game so it's uh uh really cool to see those types of technologies coming out as well
1: besides cost The other barrier that I've heard from teachers and reason why that VR headsets aren't quite yet rampant within schools is that many teachers don't see the connection to the content curriculum. So they they don't quite yet see and they worry more about, you know, how do I connect this to, you know, my curricular objective, which says that they need to balance chemical equations. However, Slowly, schools are realizing that it's incumbent upon them to also teach soft skills. So, you know, how how great can we reduce anxiety in a student? Or can we get students more and more understanding that we need to be open to different races and cultures? Or how do I make sure that a student is creative and innovative in today's world? So do you have any examples of uh, soft skill training simulations that you've either been asked to develop or have sort of on the pipe?
2: Yeah, I mean, one that uh, we actually used to use for uh, basically team building exercises was uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Funny enough, it's um, it's a bomb defusal game that involves uh, communication between the person who's in VR who's defusing a bomb and their team that's outside with uh, uh, basically the uh, instructions on how to defuse the bomb and they each kind of take a role in terms of what they're going to communicate with the bomb diffuser and if they have three strikes where they um, do the wrong thing then uh, they lose and the bomb blows up basically and it's a great fun way to basically get kids um, out of their chairs and active and working together on a project and uh, every time we've delivered it as uh, something that we've kind of gone into either uh, summer camps or uh, classrooms themselves it's been uh, it's been absolute blast.
1: Awesome example. And I've used that in some of my teacher workshops and then with students. Have you ever gotten anyone uh, sensitive or critical of the tool, i.e. using a bomb for learning? Has anyone brought that up to say this isn't appropriate?
2: Funny enough, um, every time I mention what's happening in the first sentence of like I'm gonna have your students defuse a bomb, it really comes off as uh, I get a kind of shock on them, on their face of of what I'm talking about, and then within 30 seconds of me either showing them a video or uh, talking about the VR aspect and what exactly is going on, um, everyone kind of seems to get on board after after that part.
1: How about game development? So, games again used to be a bit of a dirty word in schools and education, but they're, you know, especially the term serious games are having kind of a comeback in schools as a tool for learning things. Do you get many requests to develop games yet? Because I would imagine that developing a game would take way more time than a scenario for enterprise.
2: Yeah, we definitely see, um, we've seen some tools being used uh, in terms of being asked directly to build stuff for, like, let's say a school board. Um, it's not something that's really fa- fallen into our wheelhouse yet, but uh, to your point about the, the longevity of it, for sure, it's um, when we look at the scenarios that we build for either research or training purposes currently, and um, we actually uh, hired three game development uh, employees uh, straight out of school, and, like, that's what they know about to turn our scenarios into full, full on games is, is, uh, is quite something. But with that being said, as, as long as you have um, someone basically on board with you, um, someone from the school board, let's say, who knows the vision and can kind of help uh, with the, with the deliverables, it's, it's not something that's uh, impossible. Um, and I think VR is a great tool to kind of take that next step from, let's say the uh, mobile games that uh, are currently being developed for that purpose um, for iPads or um, devices like that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, on a recent podcast, I talked about this and that is casual games that we play on our phone often were a bit of a release, either for kids where you've got like 15 or 20 minutes to kill before your mom or dad picks you up after uh, hockey practice or for employees within uh the workplace, the work scenario where you've got, you know, times over, but you still have a few minutes. So you pick up your phone, you play Candy Crush, and you get sort of this release, this mechanism. It might sort of reduce your anxiety. To what extent do you think VR will get to a point where VR becomes that, becomes this sort of mechanism that we use to uh, almost escape and have a break from the real world uh, where it's only like a few minutes at a time and not – this full on, you know, I have to get this set up, I have to get that set up, etc. I think
2: go for it.
0: I think I think VR will take a long time if if it will ever get to that point of being a few minutes. I think VR is more built to be a fully immersive experience that you're you're spending lots of time in. Um, so like more of those I think those triple A type games um, that people play on PlayStation or Xbox or on their PCs is where VR is heading. Um, But I think augmented reality and AR, um, seeing things like Pokemon Go or or those uh, types of smaller experiences that you can have is just around the corner with, with Facebook announcing uh, that over the next year they're testing out their AR glasses and should have them released next year um, at their um, Facebook connect last month as well as with all the rumors around Apple and them testing out their AR glasses, I definitely think that within the next two years, there's going to be, um, a large percentage of, uh, of the world that's going to have access to these AR glasses at a fair consumer price. And that will, within the next few years, replace phones and, and allow for those games where you can quickly switch something on and whether it's, uh, I don't know turns the whole sky into a candy crush game or uh all, or the side of a building there there's so many uh, ideas there that could create these small little games that people could play um in in those break times like you're talking
2: about.
1: Did you want to add to that Drew?
2: <laughs> yeah, I kind of actually want to um counter it a little bit just just <laughs> on the fact that I think VR um kind of is there right now in as 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 much as it's going to be. Um, in terms of I can take the Oculus Quest with me in my backpack and I've been at a cafe before and had five minutes before a meeting starts and I just throw it on and can um, not necessarily play games but just kind of uh, like play play around with the headset itself. Um, but Evan is right like in terms of where where it's headed to be user-friendly and in everyone's hands and for the people who are going to want to do it, uh, AR is um, kind of where, where it needs to be because yeah, um, on top of being like, fully immersed in VR, like, yeah, waving your hands around and playing games in uh, public spaces is definitely going to deter people from doing so, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I keep waiting. I mean, COVID-19 has shut this down, but I kept waiting for the scenario where I'm on an airplane and someone has a VR headset on.
0: Yeah, I think, I can't remember which... Which airline it was, but there is there is one airline that's actually uh, giving people VR headsets during flights. And that might have been before COVID, now obviously, but uh, but yeah, they're they're handing them out. I think it's it's definitely the future of a uh, long long haul trips where you're where you're in an airplane or a bus and uh, you're there for a few hours to be able to have a, a space where you can put on a VR headset and watch a movie in a movie theater or, or play a game. Uh, I definitely think those types of experiences are just around the corner as well
1: speaking of the future evan what what does uh expert vr have sort of on the forefront you know tell us a little bit about maybe what you're working on for the future Uh, again we don't want to share any trade secrets maybe but uh, just give the audience a sense for what you guys are working on now or in the future
0: yeah like Like we mentioned at the start, our research access portal, we just finished building that uh, a little over a month ago. So that's kind of our our main next year, a couple of years, just building that out as a place where researchers and trainers can get the the analytical tools that they need to conduct good research or or good or good training. Um, But but with that, we're seeing that we're building out these analytical tools that um, are basically the the future of of data in VR and AR and and where society's heading with those technologies and is what could, could not saying we're going to do it specifically, but could replace um, what Facebook and Google has as their type of analytic tools for surfing the web right now. So trying to do that in a, in a meaningful way where we're giving consumers control over their data and they, they know uh, what data they're giving up, where it's going and how it's being used um, is something that we're very mindful of as well as seeing how we can then, if a consumer or somebody does decide to, to give their data to a brand or to um, whoever they're giving it to, allowing those people to use it in a meaningful way. And like the example that I, I keep giving is, is what if in the future you're, you're shopping for shoes and uh, Foot Locker, for example, knows that you're uh, a big LeBron fan and you like to listen to Drake. So instead of shopping for shoes in a footlocker store um, or in a physical footlocker store, you put on your VR headset and you're at a basketball court with LeBron trying on shoes and Drake's there uh, on on the side court rapping, And you have this whole experience around the brand that you're connected with. And I think uh, that's where um, we're trying to push to the future.
1: Drew, anything to add?
2: Uh, That was pretty good, Evan. (laughs)
1: i i agree that was a great example or scenario i'm not a basketball player and it made me want to maybe get basketball shoes (laughs) um how can people get a hold of you guys if they're interested either a and what your company's doing or maybe uh scenario b which is just uh, you maybe get a hold of you to ask questions or maybe they're passionate like we are about vr yeah i always
0: say the best places on linkedin i'm pretty active on linkedin myself so uh happy to talk to anybody there but also like we have uh expert vr twitter instagram facebook and a expert vr linkedin page reach out there or our emails info at expert um so yeah anywhere really uh happy to talk
1: same drew
2: yeah no yeah and just uh just to clarify that's xpertvr um yeah we uh couldn't afford the first Eon expert so <laughs>
1: <laughs> i actually looked it up and there's an expert vr.io not with the x but with the e and uh i didn't click on it thankfully so interesting Any, anyway <laughs> gentlemen it, it's been a blast and thank you so much uh i like to make this show fairly uh generic about a variety of different things not just uh schooling because i think we can be enlightened us educators can be enlightened by many avenues and i believe you know learning a bit more about what the the business world is doing uh, has provided clarity as to the progression that vr is taking so i really appreciate you guys coming on well
0: thank you for having us Craig. it was great talking to you and always happy to talk about vr so
2: <laughs> yeah no thanks a lot Craig. this was uh, this is a good time
1: all right